All right. Welcome, folks. Welcome. This is podcast number 30. I can't believe it. Podcast number 30 of the On Being Christian podcast. So good to be with you. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And this is the On Being Christian podcast. I'll be your host. And as promised, we're going to start some different things this morning. Uh, For podcast number 30, we're actually going to start a series, and um, most of you are going to be familiar with this, but we're going to take a look at it. In fact, one of the most written about and preached sections of the Bible is Matthew chapter 5, and uh, it's Jesus's teachings to his disciples. The first 12 verses are what are commonly known as the Beatitudes, and we're going to do a series on all of the attributes found within those first 12 verses. It'll take us seven or eight weeks. I'm not sure exactly how long here, Um, maybe nine, but it's going to be something that I've been looking forward to for a while. I actually preached this series about two, two and a half years ago, and it really helped me. One of the things you're going to learn if you're in the ministry, um, one of the things I learned, I should say it that way, is that um, it takes about four or five, five or six hours of intake and study for about every hour of outgo. Um, if you want to do it properly, if you're going to put the, put the appropriate amount of effort into what your calling is. And um, that's never been a task for me. Well, it's a task, but it's never been one that I haven't enjoyed. But I particularly enjoyed the study that went into this section of Scripture, these 12 verses. And so I want to begin this morning. Well, it's this morning where I'm at um, here in Salt Lake City. It's proving to be a task just to try to stay cool. We have heat advisories today with expected levels going up into 107, 108. I heard 110 down south, and uh, that's that's severe. But one of the things that we're going to do as we go through this series is just week by week, we're going to look at these attributes found in Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12. I can just give you the attributes real quick, and then I'm actually going to read these 12 verses, and we'll get started The Beatitudes consist of what's known as uh, nine different things, eight or nine different things here. It's the poor in spirit, uh, they that mourn, the meek, they which do hunger, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, they which are persecuted, and ye. Ye is the final one for, for nine things there. And so we're going to look at these things. Let's go ahead and start by just reading our context, and then we'll take a look at just this first attribute, the the poor in spirit. The Bible says, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12, And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now these are, again, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, commonly known as the Beatitudes, blessed are, and he gives all these attributes. I'd like to talk this briefly this morning about, uh, we're going to focus on um, verse 3, verse 3. Now, I want you to see in verse 1, it says, when he was set, he, it goes on to say that he taught them. Set is a word that means to appoint or to settle, uh, to tarry and continue. So the Lord very much set himself um, mentally, physically. He put himself in a place that he would be for a little bit, and he taught his disciples. I want you to understand, just before we get started, by way of introduction, One of the most valuable things that you might be able to learn, one of the most valuable things that you might add to your Christian walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ is the ability to set yourself with him and be still. Be still for however amount of however long of an amount of time it takes for him to uh, talk with you. Sometimes it takes a little bit for me to still myself and get rid of the different things, worries, attributes, all the things that weigh down, just to be still with the Lord. There's so much value in that. And so let's get started. Number one, the poor in spirit. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor is simply a word that means to crouch, like to crouch down. Uh, as if a beggar. It goes on to say, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. There's a thought here. There is value in what we're going to show you through this or what we're going to talk about through this first attribute. There is value in that which is heavy, that which causes you to stop or to stutter, to lean over, as it were, with burden, or to be under burden. Now, the world that you and I live in is not going to say that there's any value in that. But the Bible says that there is value in carrying something, the poor in spirit. There's value uh, in, in, in having something that you have mentally or even maybe physically taken up for someone else and carrying that thing for them. There's lots of verses on this. Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, as I'm flipping over there, Luke chapter 6 and verse 20 gives us a, a real clear picture here. Verse 20 says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. And this is just another section which lays out some of these things. Blessed be ye poor. What do you think? Now, the very idea of poor 
is not something that we, especially as Americans, uh, readily just cling on to as a good thing, as a blessed thing. But so far, we're not but maybe five, ten minutes into this, and the Bible has told us twice that the poor in spirit are blessed. The poor in spirit are promised the kingdom of God. Now, before we go too much farther, I want to describe to you just one thing very briefly here. There's three things that you need to understand concerning the difference between them, and that's the church, the kingdom, and the family of God, okay? Um, Most of Christianity today, uh, I, I believe, has watered this down. The family of God is all those who have accepted Christ and are his children, whether they are on earth now or whether they are in heaven now, that is the family of God, okay? The kingdom of God is all those who have accepted Christ as their Savior and are on earth right now. The kingdom of God is on earth in the hearts of his willing subjects. That is the kingdom of God. The church of God is those who have accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and have also gone on to uh, observe the biblical doctrine of biblical baptism, which means that they are professing their faith in Christ and subjecting themselves to the authority of a local New Testament Baptist church in keeping with the doctrine of the Bible. Baptism does add you to the body of Christ or the church. All those who are saved are not the church. All those who are saved are definitely going to heaven. They're definitely going to have a relationship with God, and you don't have to be in church to get saved, and you can get saved anywhere. You can get saved and and be in the family and kingdom of God apart from any church. And that's a kind of a false idea that sometimes people ascribe to this, is that you have to be in church to go to heaven, or you have to be saved to go to heaven. That's not true. But there is a very big difference between those who have accepted Christ and are in the kingdom and the family of God and those who have also taken that a step further and obeyed the Bible in, uh, in subjecting themselves to the authority of the church, submitting themselves through baptism into the membership of a local New Testament Baptist church. And so when we're talking about the kingdom, the poor in spirit, we're talking about those who have understood that it's not about their life, it's about the life of Jesus Christ. They're poor, they've come broken, and they have found healing at the throne of God. Let's go to one other verse on this. Well, we're going to go a couple. Uh, Psalm 51 and verse 17. Psalm 51 and verse 17. The Bible says here, I went one page too far. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. A, oh God, thou wilt not despise. Let's talk about this for a second. Contrite, we see that the Bible, let me back up one, one second here. The sacrifices of God. In other words, those things which please God. Now, sometimes we have, we've made this into something that I don't believe it is. We, we try to impress God with culture. We try to impress God with religious uh, elitism. We try to impress him with what we think is impressive. And and the Bible says that God says the sacrifices of God, those things which God are, are pleased in, are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart. The word contrite is a word that means it gives the picture to collapse or to break. The Bible says that uh, pride cometh before the fall. Pride was the original sin. This is the sin that Lucifer fell to. I will be like the most high, Lucifer said, and for that was cast out of heaven. Pride, pride and arrogance, that lifting up of ourselves is the opposite of what the Bible says God sees as valuable. God looks at the soul, at the heart, that is burdened, that is broken and contrite before him. In other words, a a heart and a mind that understands that they are that their their sinful actions, that the their life as a sinner is an offense to God. God loved them, loves them, and for that reason he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, and accepting of that means the rejection of self. Thus, the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of God. Very simple. A broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Have you ever have you ever realized, have you ever had a moment of self-realization that conflicted with your subjective idea of uh, self-worth? In other words, on a long enough timeline, sometimes we have these opinions about ourselves. And if we were to let those opinions run unobjective or, or, or unconfronted for a long enough period, we're going to realize that either we have the work ethic to make those goals a reality, or we're lazy and we just have these theories about ourselves that in reality they're not true. Most of the time, um, when, when we have one of these deep-held self-worth theories that aren't in keeping with reality, life itself will show us that we've been lying to ourselves. I used to be a fighter, and it doesn't really matter in that world. It, has, I mean, it, it really does not matter what you think you are capable of. Because at some point, you're going to crawl into a ring or you're going to climb into a cage and there's another person in there that is going to confront your theories about your ability and about your worth and about your level of value. And only one of you are walking out of there. And it's whichever one put more work into the goal of becoming something that he's not. In other words, to become something that you're not, you have to realize that you're not that thing first. And then instead of just projecting that you are that, you have to become that through work and sacrifice and and ethics. And in the Christian realm, the Bible says that God needs us or would require us to get to the point where we understand there's no amount of work or ethics or or, or, or religious religiosity or life that can make him pleased with our sinful nature. It's exactly the opposite. It's a ceasing of work. It's a repentance of self. It's a broken and contrite heart that comes before God, admits our faults, and asks for forgiveness. 
The Bible says that's the definition of the poor in spirit, the broken and contrite heart. God will not despise that. That is the definition of one who has inherited the kingdom of heaven. If you jump over to Psalm chapter 34, Psalm 34, 18 through 19, the Bible says here, And the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. The Lord is nigh, which means near. Who is he nigh? Those, it says unto them, that are broken heart, of a broken heart. Saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. We, we could use the word humility here. The Lord is drawn to those who express the appropriate amount of, which is total humility before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our God, who gave us Jehovah, the self-existent one, Jesus Christ, our Savior. When you're dealing with God, when you're dealing with Christ, you're dealing with one who you can't be anything but broken and humble before. The Bible says that God looks at this and accepts this. It pleases him. He will not reject it. The Lord is nigh, the Bible says. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. It gives this caveat to the end of this verse. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now, one of the things that sometimes gets a little pushback is this idea that living a life for Jesus Christ is conflict-free. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, in Romans, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. But I understand that to mean me. And without Jesus Christ righteousness applied to my account, because he is the only righteous one, then I can never be a part of that which is righteous. So when I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, he dwells in me. That's the kingdom on earth. He's in my heart. And I am, through his work, not through my work, through his life, not through my life, I am in him righteous. And the Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. It also says over in Peter, think it not strange. And I'm paraphrasing when you go through these trials and temptations. This is what being a Christian is all about. Now, like I said, I've gotten some pushback on that. Um, but the reality is, is that when you accept Christ as your Savior, and furthermore, when you live a life for the cause of Christ, a world which is rapidly rejecting him more and more and more is not necessarily going to look at that and accept that without pushback. And so if you are living a Christian life in a world and in a society, in a community, that is rapidly becoming anti-Christian, then you can expect that that's not going to be just all fun and games. But the Lord, verse 18, the Lord delivereth him out of them all. What does it take for the Lord to deliver? For me to remember my position, to be continuously humble and broken 
and contrite before the Lord. One of the most dangerous times in a man's life, specifically, is right after success. Because when a man succeeds at something or achieves a goal, I don't know what you want to call it, this absolutely apex of dopamine or whatever physical or physiological attribute you want to ascribe to this. My point isn't all that stuff. My point is right at that moment when you feel like I've got it, I've done it, I can relax. That's that's when the pride comes in. That's when the, the fall is imminent. And so through Christ's help, I'm just kind of being vulnerable here with you, giving you an example from my own life. I have asked the Lord it is imperative that you continuously remind me, and hopefully I get it sooner or later and it doesn't cause so much pain, that I have one requirement before you, and that is total and complete humility. I tell the folks here at Wasatch Front Baptist Church, and I've asked the Lord to do this, that whatever blessings, whatever advancements, he allows Wasatch Front Baptist Church to, uh, to achieve, I pray that he would do it in such a way that everyone who's watching— Everyone who's observing knows just by the objective reality of what they've seen that there's no way that I could have done it, that it is entirely in the hands of the Lord. And he's doing that. The story of Wasatch Front Baptist Church from its founding to present day has been one of nothing more than and nothing less than absolute uh, grace of God. He has supplied. He has he has provided, he continues to supply and provide in such a magnificent and astounding way that anyone who sees it knows this is the Lord. One of the men here that comes to church um, told me the other day, he said, Pastor, if I wouldn't have been here for all of the things that the Lord has done, I wouldn't believe what he has done if you told me. I would have had to see it. Being here and seeing it, I still sometimes stumble at the magnificence of his providing providential hand, and I am in total agreement with him. We sometimes say that we know that he can do it, but then when he does it, it shocks us. Well, he's doing it here, and we are internally and forever thankful for the Lord's love and grace for this church and for our lives individually from that and so from Psalm 34, we see the Lord is nigh. He will help. He, that's, that's exactly what he came to do. If you go to um, Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs 16 and verse 19, there's a verse there that we can have a look at. <clears throat> the Bible says here, better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And so now one of the things I want you to remember when you're in the books, the poetic books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, things like that, there's often language that creates a contrast between two thoughts. Because as advanced as language used to be, I, I, I could make the case that at least for the English language now, it's it's retroactive. It's it's degrading. Um, but as advanced as language is, there are human feelings and human emotions that there aren't words and phrases to describe. 
And that's where poetry comes in a lot of times. It creates the contrast between two thoughts and then uses the space in the middle of those two thoughts to try to express a feeling or, or a reality. And so if you look at uh, Proverbs 16, verse 19, you'll see some of this. The very, In fact, if you back it up to uh, verse 18, um, you see that verse that I made reference to earlier. It says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly, so there's one extreme, than to divide the spoil with the proud. And there's the other extreme. Now, the world that you and I live in preaches this pride. In fact, it's become a word which is exclusively at this point almost uh, prescribed to a way of life which the Bible knows nothing about. But this idea of pride, use your pride to get everything you can. The pride pushes for success as defined by humans, as defined by humanity. Divide the spoil with the proud. That's the idea. The American way, as I've said before, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid. And that's that's the extreme. And then that's but that's how we are natural. We, we, we use pride to elevate ourselves. And then once we become elevated at whatever cost of those we stepped on to become elevated, we take the the spoils of that elevated life, which pride got us to, and we become lax. We become merry. We become um, we, we we just take our lees, eat, drink, and be merry type of idea. The Bible says it's much better if you if you back up before all that. It's better to be of an humble spirit. With the lowly. The Lord says, concerning a relationship with Him, which, by the way, your eternal soul will exist somewhere. And it's not going to exist here forever. This is just how it starts. And so you must understand the Bible says, concerning the big picture of eternity, it's better for you to be humble and dwell with the lowly than to be proud and divide the spoil with the rich. Interesting thought. It leads us into this with that first verse that kind of opens the gateway to this idea. Verse 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so pride might get you something for a little while. Pride might get you some spoil, some advancements for a little while. But then it'll fall. It'll fail. It won't last. Because right, the, the one plus one is two, and pride goeth before destruction. It's, it's an objective reality. And so when I use my, my, my pride to advance myself and to use that advancement to spoil myself, the very next step or the very next reality that I'm facing, whether I accept it or not, is destruction. That's just the reality of it. And so it's much better to be of a broken and contrite heart, to be humble, to dwell with the lowly, to dwell with the lowly. If you jump over now, Isaiah chapter 57. 
Isaiah 57 and verse 15. The Bible says here, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now let's take this step by step. Look what it says as we just begin. Verse 15, for thus saith the high and lofty one that he ha- that inhabiteth eternity. The words that we're being told are coming from the one who inhabits. That means he fills the eternity. Now, to get you to understand the concept of eternity, there's really no way for humans to understand it, but I'd like to draw your attention to three different timelines with respect to existence. So the temporary timeline would be that of your dog or your pet. It's a physical existence. There's no eternal soul. There's no eternal existence. There's a spirit which makes your pet what it is and whatever, but there's no part that's going to go into eternity. There's no conscience of an animal. Okay, there's instincts, but no conscience. All right? And so a physical animal has a beginning and an ending point, and it's entirely in keeping with a physical reality. There's no soul that exists prior. There's no existence that goes on afterwards. Contrary to what Walt Disney has tried to teach us, all dogs do not go to heaven. All right? The second type of existence is that of man. There is a moment of conception at the point at which life starts. The Bible says life is in the blood, and that is conception. Okay? Once that moment of life begins, you have a living creature and a eternal soul right at that moment. That soul, once the physical life of that person has ended, is going to go on somewhere forever. The Bible lays out two realities, eternity with God or eternity separated from God, which is hell as defined by the Bible, not an idea, not a concept, but the Bible says the separation of God is eternal damnation, the fires of hell. And then you have the third type of timeline, which is God. There is not only no ending, but this is the part that you and I really have a hard time understanding. There's no beginning. He is as he always will be, as he has always been. Jehovah, the self-existent one, God. And so who are we talking about? Or who, who, who is this God? The Bible says he is high and lofty, and he inhabiteth the eternity. This life, folks, is a shadow, a breath a gust of wind, a vapor, the Bible says, the flower of the field. It is here for a little while, and then it's gone. And the rest of our existence will be somewhere in the eternity where God inhabits all. He's, the, it goes on to say, whose name is holy. His name is holy. 
I dwell in the high and holy place. And now here's the part I want to draw your attention to. Look who's there with him. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. So who dwells with the holy? Who dwells in the high and lofty place with the self-existent one? The one who is contrite and humble. Now, I don't know if there's a better verse that explains why the poor in spirit are blessed and go on to inherit the kingdom of God than that. This is why it's important to be a man of humility, a woman of humility, a, a person of a contrite heart. It's not the end of the world to be under a burden, to be uh, more empathetic for the lives of others than you are for the advancement of your own comfort. The Bible says, in fact, the very person who does this is the person who habits eternity with God by God's grace through the sacrifice of of Jesus Christ. It says, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive, the Bible says, the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Sometimes I think we try to revive ourselves. The Lord says, no, there's nothing that you shouldn't be doing that. Our job, our, our goal, our the Lord's desire for our life is that we come to him humble, contrite, broken, which isn't asking a lot, just saying it personally from my own experience. The life has done enough to remind me of who I'm not and to show me what I can't do. That when I crawled up before the Lord and gave him the broken pieces of my life and asked for forgiveness and he provided it, folks, the healing that came from that was worth a million lifetimes more than what I could have ever done for myself. If you stay in Isaiah, go over to chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2, For all those things hath mine hand made. If we back up to verse 1 to just understand what he's talking about here. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things which mine hand hath made, and all those things um, have been, excuse me, for all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man, to this man will I look. All right? So now, with all of that explanation leading up to this verse, when it says, to this man will I look, I want you to understand this is something that we should really grab onto. To this man, he's going to describe the exact type of characteristics that are going to be pleasing to him. To this man will I look. Even to him, the Bible says, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Poor and contrite spirit. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about that. We understand that at this point. Look at this last part. Who's he going to look to? The man that trembleth at my word. I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself something. Does the word of God cause you to still yourself? Do you need to be where the word of God is being preached? Or 
Could you go a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, a year, a couple years without ever being near the word of God? Would your life change at all if your Bible was just a family heirloom on a shelf and Sundays weren't really the Lord's? They were yours. You might go to church on a a Christmas Eve service or maybe a Easter service, maybe a men's thing and maybe a retreat. And, you know, half the year you could go the other half you're busy. Do you have seasons of your life where sports or work just take you out of the house of the, of God for two, three, four, five months at a time. And, and your life doesn't change. Nothing about your life changes. Does that not scare you a little bit? Because the poor in spirit, the contrite, humble soul, the Bible says is the one that dwells with the self-existent one in the eternities. The one who trembles at his word. Have you found yourself correcting the Bible, taking the parts you want, leaving the parts you don't? justifying it by talking about, well, there's different translations which say different things and so on and so forth. Folks, remember what this podcast is all about. Christianity is not originally something that was a noun. It was a verb, a Christian. It was a title. It's ascribed to people whose lives were lived in the manner of that which follows the teachings and doctrines of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It has become a noun We've taken it and just said, well, I'm a Christian because I say I am, and it can mean whatever I say it means. And that's not true. That's false. Being a Christian means I live according to the doctrine of the Bible. Anything else is just a self-projection of my own idea of worth. And on a long enough timeline, I will run into something that shows me what I'm not. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So are you a Christian? Do you understand the value of humility and being poor of spirit, being broken and of a contrite heart? Do you tremble at the word of God? The Bible says these attributes are exactly those attributes which are blessed. I think I have one more verse on this. No, I don't. Um, I want to talk about some of the definitions of the verse we just read. It says, for those things hath mine hand made, and all those goes on. But this man will I look, even to him that is poor of a that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. That look, that word look. He says, this man will I look. That word means to watch or to anticipate in thought or hope. So the Lord, it, the Lord's looking at you with anticipation and hope that you would be broken and, and humble yourself and live a contrite spirit before him and tremble at his word. The word tremble means um, it's a term for reverential, like a reverence, like a, a fear of God, not, not fear like you would something bad, but fear like you would something in awe, a, a reverential word, a word of grandeur. It is such an encouraging truth to know 
that with complete faith in Christ and trust in God and obedience to the word of God, he looks to me. God looks with anticipation and hope to the man who is of a broken spirit, a contrite heart, a humble man, a man who trembles at the word of God. This is the first of a series talking about these attributes, which the Bible says are blessed. Now, the world that you and I live in, it's going to reject this. It's going to reject the value of this. I'm not a big believer in the word self-esteem. I think it's actually a a ridiculous word. Self-awareness is a much better word. If we had any self-awareness as a nation, we would look at what we've become and see that it is unsustainable. We are spiraling towards destruction, but we're so comfortable and drunk on luxury that we don't see it. Why? Because our pride has blinded us. We are not broken. We're not a contrite people. Folks, I've traveled all over the world. I've been in 20-something countries. I've seen combat in four countries. I've been around all types of different cultures. And I am the most American American you'll ever meet, unapologetically so. But here's also something that I want you to understand. Travel is one of the best things for a young man, or at least it was for me, because it showed me the arrogance of youth. There are so many countries in this, in this world where people, because of the difficulties of life, are just much more humble and much more contrite and broken, and they're much more pleasurable to be around. The arrogancy and the self-focus of wealth and luxury and excess has created an America that was never seen by our forefathers. You've heard the saying, good men make good times. Good times make soft men. Soft men make bad times. Bad times make hard men. Hard men make good men. And the cycle continues and round and round we go. So how do I live amongst all the blessings and natural grandeur of what we have been provided and choose and still to be a good man. How do I do that? Well, I have to have the good man. His name is Jesus Christ. I have to have him creating in me a new heart. I have to, by God's grace, through his sacrifice, be humble and repent of myself and accept the the grandeur, if you will, of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have to be able to choose the hard path, even though I don't have to. I, I need to. Men, men are built for challenge, for confrontation, for work, for sacrifice. And if you don't be careful, I'm just talking to the men here for a second. If you don't be careful, men, you'll allow yourself to become so cared for, so pampered, so soft, that when, that when the end, whatever the end we're talking about, the end of luxury, the end of whatever, when, when reality comes rambling back, and it always does, 
You'll be the first casualty. <clears throat> How do I prevent this? Well, the poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of God. Poor, contrite, humble, broken, trembling at the word of God. Reverential. A reverential position before God. What's a reverential position? Broken, bowed. At best, asking for forgiveness. When I was 15, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I was in my bedroom, my parents' house. I told you this before. And I remember just getting down. I don't remember the exact words, but I remember just being broken, totally empty, and just totally okay with whatever the Lord wanted for me, put it in his hands and begged him for forgiveness. And I remember, I remember saying, don't let me go. From that time to now, that was 25 years ago, I've, uh, I've been brought back to my knees a couple times. In fact, one time I was going through some things with the original, with a, with a group here in Salt Lake that turned out to be some really, really bad folks. Really, really controlling, really manipulative folks. And I was in it. And um, I remember just, I, I had a guy tell me one time, you know, sometimes I just go out into the woods or go out into wherever and I tell the Lord, Lord, you and I are going to have a talk. And it's really kind of abrupt like that. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to do that. I think that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I told the Lord, Lord, I need to talk to you, and I want you to listen. And it wasn't before that phrase came out of my mouth, before it exited my mind, that the Lord told me, boy, you better get low when you talk to me, and you watch the bass in your voice. And I, I just, I remember getting on my knees, and the Lord said, nope, lower. And folks, I laid flat out on my face, totally, and, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm burdened, I'm broken, I'm all of these things, but I, I, <laughs> I mouthed off to the wrong person, and I just asked the Lord to forgive me, and whatever he wanted for my life, whatever he wanted for the ministry here, I'm okay with it, just, just don't let me go. Keep me in your presence, and that was when it all changed. Everything changed from that moment. There's been moments like that along my life. Folks, there is a lot of value in being a person under burden. There's a lot of value in understanding by experience the graceful acceptance of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't accept our sin. He doesn't accept our pride. He gave us his son to pay for those things. But he does accept us when we come to him with humble hearts, broken, contrite, uh, trembling hearts. He heals, he helps, he comforts. I hope this has been a blessing to you. We're going to pick it up right there next time that we're together with They That Mourn. So this is the 30th podcast of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church and the On Being Christian podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you certainly can at our website, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, Front Baptist Church. Com. My name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor. You can get a hold of us under the contact link on that website. You can send us an email or you can call me directly at the office. I'm going to be 
uh, a little bit busy over the, well, not a little bit, I'm been a lot busy doing camps and different things, but if I miss you, I will always call back. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm going to pray and then we will see you next time. Father, thank you so much for your grace. And as we dismiss from this thought in our own selves, Father, as we, as we just kind of take a breath and pause for a second and then move on with our day, whatever time of day that might be where we are, I pray you'd help these things to stick in our hearts and minds, that we'd give you the glory for everything you're going to do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I love you. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.